How do we get to heaven? How do we get to heaven? Not by anything in us. Not by anything we have done. But through the true and righteous man who is also God. And salvation is free through Christ. And since salvation is free to us, does it follow that everyone goes to heaven? And that is the first question in Lord's Day 7. I'll ask the question and then let us respond together. Question 20, page 875, question 20, Lord's Day 7. Question 20, let us answer, are all people then saved through Christ just as they were lost through Adam? Answer, no. Only those are saved who through true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. Now, this answer has four parts. First, no, not everyone is saved. And Scripture is quite clear on this truth that not everyone who's ever lived is saved. Listen to John 3.36. This is our, our Savior saying, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. If you believe, eternal life. But whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Again, Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What is the will of the Father? The will of the Father is to believe in the one whom he has sent. Salvation comes to only those who believe. So unbelief, unbelief keeps sinners out of heaven. Now the fault, therefore, does not lie with the cross. The fault is not the cross. Christ's work was sufficient to save everyone ever. He did the work to save sinners perfectly. Yet the cross is only efficient. It only works for those who believe. So not everyone is saved by Christ's works, though it could, he could save everyone. And we escape God's wrath in no other way than Christ alone. And we become one with Christ in no other way than by faith. And we receive Christ's benefits. We, we receive Christ and him in, in no other way than faith only. And thereby we are engrafted into Christ and we become one with Christ and we are one with his righteousness. And by faith we become children. We become children of God because Christ is the son and, and united in Christ we become children of God. And we will reign with Christ here on after in glory because we are one with Christ and he is king of kings and Lord of lords. And all this glory by faith alone in Christ alone. So faith is really important to us. Such an important doctrine is faith. So important that we must know it through and through. And so question 21 asks, and we will answer together, what is true faith? Answer, True faith is not only a sure knowledge by which I hold as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. It is also a whole trust. 
which the Holy Spirit works in me by the gospel, that God has freely granted, not only to others, but to me also, forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness, and salvation. These gifts are purely of grace only because of Christ's merits. So faith is that which receives Christ, grafted into Christ, receives all his benefits. And faith is a sure knowledge, it says, or a certain knowledge. That is, faith is not hope and abilities. Faith is not your hope and abilities. It's not, oh, I had faith in my, I had faith that I would kick the winning field goal. I just knew I would, you know, I would hit that three-pointer. I had faith in my teammates. That's not the kind of faith we're talking about. Nor are we talking about the faith of the innocent. I just knew I was innocent and I trusted the judicial process. That's not faith. Nor is faith trust in a program. Trust the process. Trust the process. That's not faith. These aren't faith. These are different kinds of faith. But these are not sola fide. Sola fide is justifying faith. It is a faith that unites us to Christ. We become one with Christ. And his righteousness is our righteousness. We become one with Christ and all his benefits belong to us. So faith makes us one with Christ, so it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. In the life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. One with Christ. And this saving faith begins with a sure knowledge. Now, when the text says, our confession says, a sure knowledge, what we are saying is that we do not like leaps in the darkness. Christianity doesn't like to take leaps in the darkness. I mean, who does? Who wants to take a leap in the darkness when you can't see your way? No, the, the steps of faith are lit bright. The step of faith is lit bright, brightly by God's word, a word unto my feet, a light unto my feet, a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. It leads us, and we walk clearly the path. The path is clearly lit. It is the way, the truth, and the life that we follow. Faith is led by the word. Faith, therefore, trusts, as the confession says, all God has revealed to us in his word. So if you say, oh, yes, I love Jesus. I believe in Jesus. Now that Bible, on the other hand, I don't know about that thing. Maybe some of it's true. I like parts of it. I definitely don't like other parts of it. Well, that's not true faith. You can't say that you love some parts of the Bible and despise other parts or are ignorant of other parts of the Bible and don't care about parts of the Bible. If you say, I don't love God's word, how do you truly know you love God's word? You might just be loving a, how do you even know you love Jesus? You might be loving a figment of your imagination that you call Jesus. How can you love someone you don't know? If you doubt God's word, you doubt God's will. You doubt God's will, you doubt God's works. You doubt God's works, you doubt God's grace. And ultimately, you end up doubting God's Savior. So the one who doesn't believe in God's word but fancies himself religious is quite very, can be very religious, yet it is not the Christian religion. True faith believes 
in the word of God and all that it reveals is true. And true faith believes in the Christ of the word. It believes in the Christ of the word. And justifying faith makes salvation possible by faith alone in Christ alone that salvation can remain by grace alone. So if you place anything between faith between your faith and the Savior, then you are having another gospel. If you say salvation is by Christ and you can't do this or that, yes, salvation by Christ and plus you can't do this or that, then you have another gospel. If you say, no, salvation is by Christ and you got to speak in tongues, you have another gospel. If you say salvation is by Christ and you got to be baptized, then you have another gospel. If you say you believe in Christ and you add anything... You have another gospel. You can even make another gospel out of biblical truths. Like you got to believe in Christ and be baptized. Is baptism necessary? Yes. Does baptism save baptism save you? No. This is where we must be careful. Because damnable error is always filled with half-truths. And heretics use half-truths to pull you away from a whole savior. Faith only needs Jesus Christ. Faith only needs Christ. And it needs his word. And so faith actually puts away good works. Faith puts a good, away good works that we might have Christ's good works instead. Now, there are many bad ideas about faith these days, and the chief culprit, the chief bad idea of faith these days is the idea that faith is faithfulness. Many turn justifying faith into faithfulness. You see, faith is non-meritorious. Faith is non-meritorious. So the Bible says that it is a gift of God. It is by grace so that no one can boast. You can't say, look what I have done with my faith. Look at my faith and how awesome it is. Such an awesome faith. God loves me, my faith. Faithfulness, on the other hand, is meritorious. You can measure someone's faithfulness, right? Oh, he's a very faithful father. Such a faithful coworker. Faithful husband. You see, faithfulness is an act of dedication or devotion or commitment. And I want you all to be faithful, right? Be faithful employers, be faithful employees, be faithful husbands, be faithful wives. You can measure it. How faithful are you? We in this church want you to be faithful to Christ and his church. And the answer, how faithful are you, however, is not the way into heaven. We don't measure your faithfulness and say, yes, he's made it. No, she hasn't made it. No, the answer for your way into heaven is faith only. Faith doesn't need your faithfulness. Faith actually puts away your faithfulness. That you can have the faithfulness of Christ instead. Faith only needs Jesus. Another bad idea of faith is the question, what about those who walk away from the faith? This has been a bad idea and a bad question for the longest time. Well, not a bad question. It's actually a quite important question. <laughs> can you lose your salvation? Important question. And if faith needs something other than Christ, then yes, you could lose your salvation. You could lose your salvation if you lost that thing that you needed other than Christ. 
If faith needed your good works, then yes, you could lose your salvation if you were not good enough. But if Christ is a whole Savior, and if faith only needs Christ, Jesus, then you don't need to worry about your salvation. But if he's only partly Savior, you got a lot to worry about. If he's only partly Savior, you got a, you got a, you got a lot to worry about, and you better get busy. <laughs> you better get busy before it's too late. Time's up. It's too late. So let's trust Christ and him alone instead. But what about those who walk away? Because we see Christians, baptized Christians, making professions of faith, walk away from the faith. What are we to think about those who have walked away from Christianity? I'm not talking about, you know, leaving this church and going to another church, but leaving Christianity, denying the Lord. What do we make with those? What do we make of that? We say in the Reformed Church that these did not have justifying faith. They had what theologians call a historical faith or a temporary faith. You see there is in theological jargon three types of faith. There's justifying faith, true faith. You might hear it called sometimes. There's historical faith and there's temporary faith. Historical faith is the faith in redemptive history. That is, a historical faith has a certain knowledge. It knows God's word, perhaps catechizes a child in God's word, grew up in Christian church, grew up in Christian home. It knows the truth, studied the truth. We call it historical faith because it is a faith in the history of redemption. It knows God's word inside and out. But that's it. It's just an academic exercise. It's only a catechetical experiment, the faith. They know and they could probably do really good at Bible trivia, but they don't put their trust. They don't put their trust in that knowledge. They don't assent to the fact that they need this Savior and there's no hope without him. James 2, 19 says, you believe that God is one? Is that the confession of the church? You better believe it, right? Monotheism, God is one. Hear, O Israel, the Shema, our God, the Lord, our God is one. You believe God is one, you do well. James says you do well. Aha, you know your theology. But even the demons believe. Even the demons know God is one, and they shudder. They know it so well that they're afraid of this holy God. It's not just knowledge. It's trust. It's it's a wholehearted trust, the confession says. Wholehearted trust. Trusting that knowledge. You've got to have the knowledge. Christian mind is important. I mean, we're Reformed. That's a no-brainer. We're here at a catechetical service. <laughs> we recognize the necessity of Christian mind. But we need Christian heart. It's not a one or the other. It's both and. That's historical faith. Now, temporary faith is the faith that also has knowledge. And temporary faith not only has knowledge, but zeal. Those are the ones who come into the church. They're new. They're zealous for the Lord. Knowledge and zeal. 
But again, it lacks that wholehearted trust for when the tough gets going, they don't get going. They don't go when the tough gets going. That is when tragedy and adversity strikes, they, it's temporary. You know, the faith is gone. Perhaps they were there in the first place for health and wealth, and when the health and wealth is devoured by the sad world, then they turn from the Lord. Right, that's the parable of the uh, seed and the parable of the sower. Matthew 13, 20, Jesus says, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it. And they receive it with joy. There's that zeal. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation, when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. There it is. He loses his salvation. Not that he had a true faith. It wasn't a faith that united him to Christ and received all the benefits because it wasn't a hearty trust. It was merely knowledge. But not a wholehearted hope and comfort in Christ alone. And that belongs to justifying faith. Justifying faith is saving faith. It is faith that looks to Christ and him alone, desires and needs Christ alone. It wants only Christ the only thing that can rob and hurt justifying faith is the idea of Christ being stripped from one. Now, this faith is saving faith, and we're reformed for the elect alone. That's important, the doctrine of election and faith. You see, election keeps faith on grace alone and Christ alone. Think about it. If election is based on foreseen acts of faithfulness, then it's based on something other than God. And if it's based on man's act of faith, then you've turned faith into faithfulness. So to look down the quarters of time, for God to look down the quarters of time and see your act of faith and justify you because of that act is really to turn the act of faith into an act of faithfulness. God looks down the quarters of time. He's faithful enough. He's chosen me. Oh, yes, he's blessed indeed in the Lord. That really subtly turns salvation into works, does it not? It's the work of faith that God see you doing in the quarters of time. But election assures us that salvation is by grace alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone, and there is nothing that we add to faith. Faith needs Christ alone, and that's it. And the other bad idea I want to deal with this morning is the assurance, or this evening, is the assurance of faith. You see, it is necessary that the elect have faith. And with that faith comes an assurance, a trust, wholehearted trust. That is, you should know you're saved. You should have some assurance that you belong to Christ. Romans 10.10 says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses, and is saved. So if you ever say to me, Pastor, how do I know I believe? How do I know I'm a Christian? You talk about election. How do I know I'm elect? And the answer is, believe. Yes, 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 we believe, but how do I know tomorrow? What about tomorrow? And the answer is, believe tomorrow. Yeah, but what about the day after that? I'm finally going to say, stop looking at yourself. <laughs> Look to Christ. 
Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off your doubt, your lack, your weak faith, and say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. But look to Christ with that faith. Don't look to your good works. Don't look to your doubt. Even the weakest hand of faith reaches out and grabs an amazing God, a whole Savior, who has redeemed us completely. The Christ, the cross of Christ wipes away all your sins. Believe in the cross of Jesus Christ. Confess. Confession is key. So the catechism deals with what we must confess, question 22. And let's answer together. What then must a Christian believe? Answer, all that is promised us in the gospel, a summary of which is taught us in the articles of our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith. Faith is Catholic. Oh my, does that mean we need to go to Rome? No. No. Not if you want to be Catholic. (laughs) No, faith is Catholic. Faith is Catholic means truth is fixed. Faith is Catholic means truth is fixed. It means the church has always had access to the same truth. It means the church has summarized this access, this faith. It summarized this faith. Now, if truth were relative, if truth were relative, we wouldn't need creeds. If truth was relative, we wouldn't need confessions. And if truth was relative, to be honest with you, we wouldn't need to be a denomination. If truth was relative, we would all be non-denominational, each of us doing our own thing, tied to no one and nothing, but ourselves and our place and our own time and our own understanding without without the necessity of this Catholicity and this church that has gone before us. Everyone would be their own standard, and each would be his own if truth was relative. But if truth is fixed, then we together have access to the same faith, do we not? And if truth is fixed, we together can know this truth, and we together can know what we believe and why we believe it, and together with the church in all times and places, we can have an agreement. We can agree with every Christian from the first to the last. How awesome would it be if there was such a unity of the churches? I mean, that's one of the reasons I love our name, the United Reformed Churches, right? We're united. What are we united on? I mean, we're all spread across the nation, are we united on our hope of, uh, of getting, you know, the next Republican in the White House? <laughs> are we united on, I mean, what are we united on? No, we're united on creeds. We're united on confessions. How awesome would it be if we could all be united? Instead of a million different denominations, a million different churches, there's just one visible church. How awesome. And that's really the dream. And I'm talking visible church. I'm not talking invisible church. Yeah, invisible church, yes, yes, Catholic. But what about visibly? Wouldn't it be awesome if we were visibly united? That's really the dream and the hope of the Reformed churches. That's why the Reformed churches established Napark in the United States. 
you know, we're members of the United, you know, it says right here in the back of our bulletin, I just kind of point this out, Covenant Reformed Church, a member of the United Reformed Church in America. That's this church's way. Covenant Reformed Church is saying, we're not our own. We belong to the United Reformed Churches in America, urcna.org. Check it out. Wonderful website. It's old, but hey. But not only are we in the United Reformed Churches, look at that. The United Reformed Church is a member of the North American Presbyterian Reformed Council, napark.org. Check it out, napark.org. That's our way of the Reformed Churches in America saying we want to be united. We have a dream to truly belong to one another. But then notice beyond that, Napark churches are members and we are a member of the ICRC icrconline.com. Check it out. The International Conference of Reformed Churches. Excuse me. Oh. That is the way the Reformed Church is trying to be one. We literally have, and what's awesome, I mean, the, reason the, the reason Reformed Churches have synods and classes, well, there's lots of reasons we have synod and classes, but one of the most important reasons we have synod and classes is to share this unity together. And the beauty of the United Reformed Churches, I'm not sure about all the Reformed denominations, but when the United Reformed Churches have synods and classes, and we, or especially at synod, when we invite delegates from other United Reformed Churches to our synods, those delegates who are recognized vote on our overtures in the URCNA. And that's our way of the URCNA saying, we're one. You authorize delegates, you can now vote on matters that belong to us. That's our way that we are trying to show this unanimity. And then we send representatives and delegates to NAPARC and then NAPARC tries to help the, and show the unanimity we have in the North American churches. And then we send delegates ever so often to the ICRC every time they meet. And the ICRC is this international, this worldwide federation of United Reformed churches, if you will, Presbyterian and Reformed. I love it. It's the Reformed dream. And the reason we dream this dream is we together want to arrive at the one and same truth because we all recognize together that truth is fixed. And since truth is fixed and Catholic, we want to be apostolic. And this is the apostolic face. Question 23, we confess it every morning, but we must confess it again tonight. Question 23, what are the articles? That is, what is the summary? What is the gospel? Now notice we're asking what is the gospel or the summary taught in the articles of our Catholic undoubted Christian faith? So the question here really is, what is the gospel? What is the Catholic undoubted Christian faith? And the answer, let's answer together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. This is the Apostles' Creed. Now, the confession is going to uh, explore this Apostles' Creed for the next many uh, Lord's Days. I'm not quite sure how many, but it goes on for a while under this uh, grace section discussing the Apostles' Creed. Now, we have to recognize that, and hopefully you do recognize, that the Apostles' Creed actually wasn't written by the Apostles. I hate to inform you that the 
apostles, we don't call it the Apostles' Creed because the apostles didn't gather at some synod and write this together. We call it the Apostles' Creed because this is the truth that the apostles delivered to the church. And what we do, what we say when we believe in this Apostles' Creed is we believe the apostles handed this truth down to the church and the church gathered together for the first couple of hundred years and they collated all of the truths of the apostles and they collated, they interpreted and they have given and bequeathed to the church what we believe concerning this undoubted Catholic Christian faith. So these are the truths that we must all be united together as the visible church. So they delivered, to, they delivered it to us, and about 1,700 years ago, we affirmed it together. And now, in this point of history, to deny this undoubted Catholic faith by this time in history, to deny this undoubted, with all the history that we've had in the 1,700 years to know this truth and to turn to God's word, to affirm, like to be good Bereans and test this truth, the church has had 1,700 years. So to deny an article of this faith today is really to be a cult or a secretarian. Now, a cult is someone who denies these truths explicitly, like Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses, and there's others. Those are the big two, right, in our country, but there's many other cults. And the secretarian is a, is a church that denies it by ignoring it and not even knowing it exists. Not even knowing our undoubted Catholic, apostolic faith. You see, the Apostles' Creed is the true interpretation of what you must believe in order to be saved. It is the truth of God's word concerning the work of God and salvation. And it's the fixed truth of Christ's church, which we have been confessing together in worship for about 1,700 years. So Covenant Reformed Church, of which you are a member, a member of the United Reformed Churches, the North American, American Presbyterian Reformed Council, and the ICRC is an old-fashioned faith, not as in 50 years ago, but as in 1,700 years ago, and even more 2,000 years ago. And this is our undoubted Catholic faith. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.